Well, hello, language hackers. Welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast with me, Elizabeth Bruckner, and of course, Benny Lewis. In this episode, we talk with language coach Gabriel Silva about learning two languages at the same time and what it's like to be a creative polyglot. Some of the things we discuss are managing expectations, how to deal with frustration as a language learner, and what it takes to enjoy every single moment of the language learning process. If you enjoy this episode or the podcast in general, we'd love to hear from you. Please let us know what you think at languagehacking.com forward slash review. Now let's get to our discussion with Gabriel. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 77. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Bruckner, and I'm here with my co-host, Benny Lewis, founder of the Fluent in Three Months blog. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Gabriel Silva, who is a creative polyglot. So creative, in fact, he wrote a book called Terrible at Language Learning No More. Welcome to the show, Gabriel. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you with us. So can you tell us a little bit about why I'm calling you a creative polyglot? Yeah, well, like, I, I don't know if I consider myself a creative polyglot so much, but I guess in a way. So I, I take it as a compliment, really. Basically, I just I'm, I absolutely love learning languages. I was born and raised in Brazil. So English is my second language. Then I moved to Canada. And back when I was learning English and when I finally managed to reach fluency, I really didn't consider myself good at learning languages at all. In fact, I thought I was just not good at all at learning languages generally because it took me forever to really get to a good level of English. And that was after six long years of, uh, of lessons in Brazil, paid lessons, right? So it was just like these, we do these courses in, in Brazil that, uh, you know, my, my dad paid for. So, and when I first came and when I first got here, it was funny because I still struggle to uh, understand spoken English, which, you know, I thought, well, like there's something wrong with me or something like I'm just I thought that I had a math brain because I was good at math. I was like, so I'm good, I'm good at math, but I'm just not good at languages. So then what I decided was, as, as a challenge was to learn German and French at the same time, because I thought, well, like maybe it will take me two decades now to learn <laughs> to learn German and French, but so be it. Like I just want to do it as a challenge. And then I actually reached fluency in both of them in four years. So I reached B2 in four years for both of them. And then I thought, well, maybe now I just learned how to learn a language. And then I just kept going. And uh, I guess you could call call me a creative polyglot in the end because I just, in a way, invented some things that that I guess that didn't come across in the community. Learning two two languages at once—that's something I kind of developed through a trial and error. Because initially I, I went fifty fifty on German and French, and I and I quickly realized that I was not having that much progress in either. So you know, like I experimented different things. So sometimes it was just an hour of French, an hour of German a day. Or maybe it would just alternate and do one day German, one day French. And then it just felt like, you know, I, I wasn't really retain, retaining much. So then I noticed that my motivation would be kind of like a sine curve. So you kind of like go up and down for both languages normally. So sometimes I'd be very excited about French. Sometimes I'd be very excited about German. And then I started riding those waves in a, and they would sometimes alternate. So sometimes I'd be like very excited about learning French for a whole month and not as excited about German. 
and vice versa. Almost intuitively, I started dedicating maybe 80% of my time into learning one of the languages and 20% of my time just reviewing and you know staying in touch with the other one. And that way, I felt like I maximized uh, my progress with, uh, with both of them. So, you know, then I kind of fine-tuned the process. So that's how I find that I reached uh, the B2 level. So, you know, basic fluency in both of them within like four years. And then when I, when I was finally uh, confident with both French and German, and the funny thing is that, you know, like <laughs> when, I, when I went to Paris after this, I was just like, okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fluent in French. Oh, ha, ha, ha. It was hilarious because like in, in Paris, they will quickly switch to English even if they speak English quite poorly. They're like, do not watch my language. I will speak English to you. Basically, it took me a while longer to actually reach C1 in a very solid accent to be to get the French to be like, oh, monsieur, vous parlez très bien le français. Like, for them to get to say, like, respect my French and like actually start speaking French to me in Paris. But uh, that being said, like, so it, t- it took me a while to get like to a decent level in these two languages. And then I thought like, well, maybe I know how to do this now. So I started learning Italian and Dutch. Those languages were a bit easier in the sense that like, because I knew German, which is close enough to, well, Dutch is kind of like in between English and German. Italian's close enough to Spanish, Portuguese, and French. So I reached B2 in approximately a year of learning both of them at the same time. And then I just started dabbling in a bunch of languages. Then I started learning uh, Russian and Chinese. And um, so that's that's basically the story. How has this, uh, your story evolved over time? Like, what's different from that first experience where your dad paid for your lessons in English and it took you a very long time compared to, you know, learning Italian and Dutch in one year. What has changed in your approach? It's a great question. First thing would be the focus of the learning. In Brazil, things uh, used to be in in many ways still are very traditional when it comes to learning. So the focus was on grammar, right? So grammar exercises, very like little listening, very little speaking, even just, you know, maybe like in the classroom setting, you just answer some questions orally or whatever. So that was, I find, brutal in a way, because it's just not natural. It's really not a natural way to learn because none of us really have, at, I don't know, the age of three or four, we've mastered uh, English or like the first language uh, that we speak, we, we mastered the grammar. And we, we, we haven't done a single grammar exercise, right? Our parents haven't sat there to really ask us, oh, what's the present perfect of the, ver-? I don't know, like, how do you conjugate it? Or there's none of that, but we know how to use the grammar uh, properly. So I think that like some focus on grammar as adults can be beneficial, but it can't be the focus at all. As I just really progressed as a, as a language learner, I really turned my focus really to comprehension, to especially uh, listening comprehension. Like Benny, and like I must say, like I'm a fan of Benny's work, I like to just start speaking ASAP when I start learning a language. Even um, I used Pimsleur quite a bit, uh, maybe like in 2014 or 2015, which is when I started like dabbling in more languages. So I would just learn a bunch of sentences in it, and I wanted to really put them into practice right away. I want to use the language as soon as possible. So yeah, so I, I shifted the focus. That's the primary uh, shift, I think, that from, my, from the beginning of my language experience or journey to, to now basically do a lot of listening, a lot of exposure to the language in a very natural way. And, um, and I think that one big element, too, is just to enjoy. Because back then, when I was first learning English, it was just, we had tests, we had quizzes, it was just 
a classroom setting. It was just like a completely different mindset. It's just like, oh, I got to do this right now. It's just like, it's for pleasure. It's really embracing the culture. I've been like, for example, like discovering so much about uh, Chinese culture, learning Mandarin, uh, so much about Russian culture that I'm obsessed with pretty much learning Russian. And these things, the languages just open up a whole new, new uh, world of culture and things. So that's what's changed. I find that you're talking about riding the wave of interest when you were learning two languages at the same time. And I see that in your videos on your YouTube channel, which we'll put a link to in the show notes. You have over 280 videos where you're just walking up to people and speaking in a different language. So you're finding the fun and the pleasure in language learning. For a baby beginner, it's a little scary. And this question is for Benny and for you, because I think all the language hackers out there really want to know when you're looking at riding the wave of interest, when you're looking at finding what ignites your curiosity, I know that myself, I have a toolbox of my favorite things to do. I'll watch TV in my target language when I want to veg out. I'll listen while I'm walking to the same story again and again. I especially love speaking to people when I'm, it's an active study, but these are my favorite things. These are the things that just wake me up and make me want to do more. Benny and Gabriel, what's, what's in your toolbox? Where's the candy for you as a language learner? What I, what I like the most, I just love connecting with people. When I start off uh, a bunch of my videos just saying, languages connect people. You know? So it's just like absolutely just so much fun. To Vancouver right now, I mean, it's a quieter city than Paris or and I was just in London as well. And it was just so much fun to just approach people and be just like, oh, oh you speak some Mandarin, do you speak some Russian? Do you, I would hear some German and I would start a conversation. That for me is just so amazing. And it's just so, it's just so much fun. I am a bit of a, an extrovert. And throughout the, the years, I just became very natural, just engaging uh, random people. <laughs> and I do it like in a very uh, chill way, right? So like more, I can kind of develop like this sense of like, I can tell when people are open to interaction and I can tell when they aren't. Or if I get any signal of like, someone's just not interested in, in interacting, I'm just have a good day and, and I'm out. It's become very easy for me to interact with just ran random uh, strangers that are open to interaction. So in London, in Paris, that's just so much fun to just like meet new people, speak their language. And uh, even, for example, like with, with French people in Paris, like going back to what I mentioned before, I found that the French are actually, they have, you know, sometimes they may have a rep reputation, which is, oh, the Parisians are arrogant or whatever, but they're actually the nicest, the friendliest people. But you got to have two things. You have to have respect, you know, for their personal space and you got to engage them in the proper way because you got to start with bonjour, bonsoir, and you got to break the ice. Then they, they are incredibly friendly, uh, which I find really cool. That for me is everything. And then comes, of course, the culture. Uh, I just, for instance, like I just tend to just fall in love with uh, different, you know, like sometimes literature, uh, music, for instance, Russian, like I just absolutely love reading in Russian. And there's just so many amazing authors, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Gogol, Pushkin's just, he became my favorite poet. And I find it sad that like a lot of people can't enjoy the beauty of his poetry because they don't speak Russian. And if you translate Pushkin to a different language, you, you will lose the, the magic that he has. So I tend to just fall in love with the culture, with the literature and the music. So that for me is really, now going back to the tools that I use, but normally I use a lot of 
text and audio, but I, I do also like watching videos. It's just sometimes I come across a, a cool vlog in the language or just like a YouTube channel and I just go nuts with the, with the content. What about you, Benny? When it comes to riding the wave, I like to see what my own energy levels are at that time. So if I'm not feeling as motivated as I d- ideally would, then it's a lot easier to consume content that others have produced, whether that be a podcast or a Netflix show or uh, like uh, Gabrielle said, like a vlog online. Uh, so I would consume other people's content and just be maintaining my vocabulary. If I feel like I have better energy levels, I'm in better spirits, then I would try to actively be talking to people. So that would mean uh, if I can't travel, then I'm uh, doing consistent, regular lessons on a site like italki. Or if I can travel, I would go out of my way to find social events I can go to and to interact with people. So it's it's all about riding those waves and the resources that I would use would always depend on that, on my energy levels, my current priority and uh, what I feel like I, I'm up for that day. So at least I know that, you know, if I don't feel like doing a lot of stuff today, I do have things I can fall back on that are going to be genuinely helping me. And I can, that's going to give me the extra momentum when I am feeling more energetic and I want to be out using my language. Gabrielle, I want to hear a bit more about your two languages simultaneously process, because if you're putting 80% of your energy into one and 20% into the other, how does that other then start to grow? And how do you decide when maybe that one gets the spotlight? Because uh, this is certainly something I've struggled with that whenever I'm in a new learning language mode, I've only ever really been able to do one at a time. So I'm very curious how 80% of the the energy that could work for me, but I wouldn't really know what to do with that 20% for the second language. A lot of people will like and will prefer to just learn one at a time. And it, there's just absolutely nothing wrong with that. The The reason why I, would, I started doing the 20% for the second language is that I, w- I would maintain the language a lot better. Right. And uh, I would just not forget the things that I learned. And like you mentioned as well, like, for instance, like when you've got lower energy or lower motivation for a specific language, you, you still you're still doing some passive exposure to it. And that way, expanding your vocabulary uh, nonetheless. So I think that that's really important, because if you if I were to just do, for instance, like, let's say, you know, just German for two weeks, and I was also studying French, then I would just almost take a bit of a step back with the French if I didn't maintain it uh, at all. So with the 20%, I would just like do, you know, flashcard review, uh, just a little bit of exposure. And the the progress would be, you know, very small compared to the 80% language. When a switch, I think that that's a very good question, because it's just it depends on your goals. Right, because let's say that someone desperately needs to learn German for work, and they're just learning French for pleasure. Well, maybe then do three months of German for like eighty percent and twenty percent French, or even maybe ninety ten, and then switch over to French for a month at eighty percent and German for, and then switch back to three months German. So. It's all about your goals. If you're like, oh, well, like I just want to learn both of them for pleasure and I'm not in a hurry to really master either of them, then you can just really ride the wave of motivation and be just like, okay, I'm very excited about German now because there's just this 
vlog that I love or these artists that I'm excited about and I'm always listening to. And uh, and then when you're getting kind of sick of it, you're like, oh, enough German now. And then you go back to French. Then you get uh, excited about uh, French movies or whatever. So it's just kind of like I, I think that uh, intuitively, I in the way that I kind of came across this process and I you know developed it or basically started doing it was that really intuitively I would just switch and do the eighty twenty and the twenty was really so I wouldn't really neglect the language and forget about it completely and it would normally be so that I would just the motivation for both languages would alternate right but then the interesting thing was that you know if you imagine sine curves for math nerds here like you know you go up and down and up and down and it was just kind of like also having a cosine curve at the same time and so so it would always be riding the the top of the wave and it would always be highly motivated to learn languages generally when normally if i focused on only one of them normally i would just hit the valleys and then the valley when it was hitting a valley then it would not really have that much progress that's why it worked for me, I believe, because then I was always motivated. Yeah, it sounds like one of your secrets, and I think Benny has this secret too, is you have given yourself permission to learn a language the way that you best learn a language. Um, I'm a language coach for Flown in Three Months Challenge, and we have so many students asking me for permission to do stuff. Can I watch TV? Can I talk to my uncle who's not a native speaker, but does speak the language? And like, you've got, we want to empower these people. And that's really, I think the mission of the Language Hacking Podcast and the Fluent in Three Months blog is to let people know that they are in charge. So when I first found the Fluent in Three Months universe, I emailed Benny and I'm like, look, I understand that you study for three months intensely. I've got a job, I've got taxes, and I've got a husband that's going to be very upset if I only speak in that target language for three months. Can I study five minutes a day with one lesson a week? And I was sure, like, again, I was asking for permission. I was sure that the response would be, I'm sorry, you're going to need to find another blog. We will not accept you. You can't read any more of our blogs. You know, we're going to block you or whatever. And instead, it was like, no, you can absolutely do this. And from that five minutes a day, because I was really fearful, because frustration can stop us so quickly in language learning, it grew. And now it's, uh, you know, if you ask me how many hours a day I learn, and I think this is probably the same for both of you, it's really hard to count because it's so much a part of our lives now. It's just naturally a part of our lives. So here's my question to you. Because, and again, Benny, I want to ask you after Gabriel, because I think it's good to see inside the minds of both polyglots and how they differ and that you are empowered to be different and it's okay. There's not going to be a smackdown of whose method is better. But here's the question. When we have a newbie, a person that's tried learning a language many, many times and failed or is just learning language for the first time and they bump up against frustration, a lot of times they quit. They get frustrated and they unconsciously quit. They go, I'm going to wait till next month. I'm going to wait till the project's done. I'm going to wait till my kids are out of school and the summertime I'll have more. How do you combat frustration? And, and you have to think back to when you two were new at language learning, not now, because now you know that frustration is a part of the game and it's kind of like your fifth kid, right? You're like, ah, the kid's going to bump his head. It'll be fine. How did you get past that? hurdle of frustration initially, not with your English, because I think with your English, you were kind of forced to speak in the country. But when you went into your second German and French, how did you force yourself to get past giving up due to frustration? I think that's a great question, especially because I see in a lot of my students too, right? And I think that, you know, like, as you mentioned, often, oftentimes people end up giving up 
just because they're like, oh, okay, uh, you know, they're not as, as excited anymore. And then motivation goes down, they hit that valley. But instead of going back up, it just plateaus. And then they're like, oh, well, life happens. And I just I'm busy with work and I'm busy with my with my family. So this is just a, a five year project anyway. So let's just put it, you know, put it off, put it off, put it off. I think that um, it's quintessential. It's just so important to just really remember what uh, excited you initially anyway, and just continue to dive deep into that, right? So sometimes it's just it's a random example. Let's say some someone's attracted to French because they love Paris and they lo- love the idea of Paris and having a croissant in the Champs-Élysées and they're, they like French music or whatever. Whatever lit that fire, like that spark, you can't really let that go. When you hit a, a roadblock and you're like, oh, wow, conjugation really sucks in French. And it's just kind of like, well, you have to go back to the Champs-Élysées with your croissant and you have to really rekindle that fire. Because as you, as you really get into it, you get excited about new things and you have to keep discovering. And uh, we have to remember that language learning, you know, oftentimes you, you associate it with like whatever, like a, a program, like, um, oh, you know, oh, Duolingo or Rosetta Stone. You, just, you think that that's language learning. It's just like really sitting there and like doing a little Duolingo. That's not the language. Verb conjugation, that's not the language. The language is really culture. The language is connecting with people. It's just really ex- experiencing wonderful things and experiencing the culture and really enjoying it. So I think that you you have to go for that fire and that's what's going to let you overcome the the frustration the roadblocks and you're going to get back into it yeah i absolutely agree with that the um, the personal connection you have in the language is very important but then to add to that if i look back on my experience learning spanish i very distinctly remember the conjugation felt like this very thick brick wall that you know if i I, I need to master this before I'm able to move on. And that definitely slowed me down for a very long period. And I think when it comes to frustration, variety is so important because ultimately there was no solution for me in that moment. There was no magic pill. There was no method that I could find that I could master Spanish conjugation in the short term and solve that problem. Just because you've reached a short-term unsolvable problem does not mean that your mission is is doomed to failure. What I did instead was I found other ways to enjoy Spanish. And as you guys know, I would get out, I'd be speaking the language like Tarzan, made my mistakes, and I was still making these conjugation errors in the language. But by getting enough exposure, I started to hear all of these different conjugations in the right context. And that meant that later on when I was ready and I came back, it was so much easier. And that brick wall was a lot thinner and I was able to push through it a lot easier. Frustration, I feel, comes from people who feel like they they have to solve this problem right now. And, uh, you know, I, I like to motivate people, but I also like to be realistic. And maybe you can't solve this problem right now. But that doesn't mean you can never solve it. It means that maybe you need to get some variety. If you're frustrated, you're in a plateau. I always tell people that's because, you know, repeating the same thing over and over again isn't going to solve your problem. Mix it up, get some other content that you might enjoy in the language, uh, use a different language learning approach, definitely try out different resources, talk to different people, try different teachers. There's a lot of ways you can get that variety, which could give you that momentum back. 
And then that big problem that you feel is preventing you from reaching the next level in the language, you will eventually be able to work on that through enough exposure that it'll become so much easier because the conjugation, it's not like I found that solution. It, ju it just became easier to process Spanish conjugation for verbs because I had enough exposure that it was so much more familiar to me. Whereas as a beginner, utterly impossible uh, for me to just be able to memorize all these tables of random complex conjugations. One thing that I really did want to touch on today is uh, I love that you've built a very strong community on the likes of Instagram, especially where people will, they have this uh, daily challenge and uh, see such activity for people posting uh, for that. So can you give us a bit of that background, how that started and what's going on with that? Sure. Yeah. It's uh, basically started this hashtag one sentence challenge, one as in the numeral and then sentence challenge. And uh, initially, especially because I just really pushed for it on uh, on YouTube and on YouTube, I always have like 10 times as many subscribers as followers on Instagram. But uh, So then initially, especially I got like a lot of people just doing the challenge and just, you know, basically just saying, because the, the whole premise of it is you just do a video of yourself just saying one sentence in the, in the target language. And you and you post that, and then normally I would go and I would share it with my with my followers. Initially, I had uh, just a lot of people participating, and it's been I think maybe almost two years since it started. And then the funny thing is that, of course, like a lot of people just would do it every day. For uh, some people, just did it once in a while, or just did it once or twice. But uh, the funny thing is that uh, sometimes I even forget about it, but people <laughs> still post it, right? Like randomly, and it's really cool to see that there's a few people that have really been so consistent and there's this a couple of impressive people that they dabbled in a ton of languages and they this one guy he learned german and his level from like two years ago to now is just like unbelievable like how much german he's learned but he's also improved his english and his, his brazilian so he also learned uh, quite a bit of french so the guy's just super impressive he learned all these languages in his short time frame and um, doing so much for the one sen sentence challenge. And the, the cool thing is to see how much that helped him, it seems. Because he, he just told me later, like, in a, I did a video with him. And he said, you know, I just sat there and I thought to myself, like, I want to do a sentence today for the challenge. So he would push himself to do it, right? And, and it's just amazing. Consistency is just so important. If we, if we do it a, a little bit every day, that's just so important. And it builds momentum. I am going to push for it a bit harder on YouTube again, just because I think that uh, it's just such a fun uh, challenge, you know, and I think it takes the, it alleviates the pressure, right? Sometimes, because especially when we're like, oh, no, oh, I have to learn 300 words a day. Some people just, they build up these crazy expectations or whatever. But if you're just there and you're, and you commit to learning a nice sentence per day, that's just realistic, that's easy. And it's just really good to record yourself, right? You, you do a video. And then you can even watch it later and you're and you can be like, oh, like my accent sounds funny here. And and you can and you can tell. And then you just you can you can correct it. You can improve it. Other people can help you too. But of course, like there are there are people who are gonna they're gonna be quite shy and they're gonna be like, I don't post a video of myself. Then do it for just yourself. If you feel like you're too shy to record yourself and post it on Instagram for everyone to be able to criticize, keeping in mind first that nobody does really. People are just normally impressed that you're trying and they're happy with it. And people who speak that language are going to be like, oh, well, like, you know, like I want to, a lot of people are going to want to help. And second, if you still don't want to do it, it's fun to do it on your own. Record yourself speaking a language 
do do one sentence a day. That's that's all you need. Uh, if you want to do more, go ahead too. But um, it's uh, it can help a lot, which is which is fun. You know, when I sit here in this virtual room with you two, I think, oh my gosh, I don't even know if you both realize how many ripples your pebbles have made in the pond in the community. This idea that I didn't know how to speak a language until I found Benny and that this fellow, you know, just decided to take your offering of that one sentence a day challenge and now speaks German. It's it's really beautiful to see. And you talk about two things here that really light up my neuropathways. Number one is community, like staying connected. It's great when you can email Benny or put a comment on Gabriel's YouTube but it's also great when you can help strengthen the community that these two fellows have created. So put comments on other people's, you know, one day, one sentence a day challenge and say, hey, good job. It's amazing what you can create that way. And then there's a bit of accountability, but also supporting one another. And the second thing that you mentioned in this is um, bite-sized digestible pieces. So when Benny talked about having that brick wall and he thinned it out by creating variety, your one sentence a day also thins it out. When people say, I'm going to learn 300 words a day. And you know what, folks, I've heard people actually say that when people say that they're, they're adding more mortar. <laughs> they're adding like another layer of bricks. They're, they're creating a larger one. And when you do something just digestible, something small, then it's like, oh, I achieved it today. I might be able to achieve, achieve it tomorrow. This brings me to my question about managing expectations. How do you help your students manage expectations? That is a, that is a great question, especially because I find that so most of my students are, are in Brazil. I think 70 something percent of my students are in Brazil. And in Brazil, we see a lot of uh, really shady marketing, <laughs> just saying, you know, like fluency in two weeks. And on one side, people are just like already sick of it and they know it's not going to happen and they know it's just going to be shady marketing. And on, on the other hand, some people are gullible enough to think that that's what is realistic. It's just like, oh, okay, so I'll, I'll learn English in a week. And, it, and, and it's just really surreal how the level that it's gotten to because the competition is just so intense that in marketing, people just need to be more and more and more aggressive. So you, you can come across really unrealistic uh, stuff being said in marketing. And since that has become the norm, expectations have been out of whack often. Many students will have really unrealistic expectations. And then throughout, you know, like on YouTube, I have so many videos talking about it, you know, like how long it will take for you to reach fluency. And like, you know, then there's this, just the debate, like what does fluency mean and conversational levels focus on that and so on. And I think it's just one important thing is just like, you know, being part of a community like that, then you will see other people the way that they progress to and get more realistic expectations. But I, uh, I also like to be really very transparent about how long um, it has taken me to learn some languages. And, you know, especially because also like on, on YouTube, we, we see that a lot too. Uh, for instance, there's this one guy, I forgot his name right now. I actually like his vlog. But he did this video. Uh, it was like, uh, how I learned Italian in seven days. Cool, bud. Like, you've learned a lot of Italian in seven days, but you haven't really learned Italian in, <laughs> in seven days, right? So it's a bit of clickbait. It's kind of sad that, like, that can be harmful to people who don't really know about it enough. So they're going to be like, well, it, I've been learning Italian for three years. I can't speak as well as this guy. But it's just kind of like, well, he focused on memorizing sentences. And he, he spat them out. It's nice to just really 
see, like, especially with the language learning community, to really share our experiences. Say, Benny does, like, does a wonderful job of that. I've seen so much stuff like you did a three-month challenge and then at the end you said, you expressed like, oh, what, what you failed at, what you succeeded at. And I think that that's really important to really show the students because then they see, okay, this guy is really, he, you know, is uh, way further along the path than I am. Like Benny is like an awesome polyglot. He, he struggled or he didn't struggle or he took this long to learn a language. So transparency is key. And I think it's just like nice for polyglots to bring that to, to, the, to this universe and, um, and really express like what can be expected uh, so that the students really don't have unrealistic, crazy expectations that are just going to lead to frustration when they can't learn Italian in seven days, which is, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I think it's also really, really important to just emphasize that there's no rush. Enjoy the process. And it's, it's part of the process to have a basic level for a while and then get to intermediate and then eventually re reach uh, an advanced level and enjoy every moment of it because that's, that is what it's supposed to be, but not just like really, oh, I need to reach fluency in like two weeks, which is not going to happen. Enjoy the process. Absolutely. And in terms of your own process, uh, what do you see in, in your future as you expand that, like you said, you'll be, encouraging people on YouTube again and what languages will we, will we be studying in the next couple of years, do you think? That, that's a good question. I think uh, recently I've been just studying a bit more of Mandarin and Russian because I felt that they were slipping a bit. I believe that both of them are around B2, so I want to get to C1 in both of them in the next little while. Not in that much of a hurry, though. I'm um, very basic in Japanese. That is one language that I'm very interested in. So I kind of want to, in the next next five years, dedicate myself to the study of uh, Japanese, and I want to get to a hopefully a decent conversational level within a year or so. I'm also interested in learning Swedish and Polish. Polish is probably at A2 already, but uh, my primary focus will be just just really improve the languages that I already know, plus Japanese, and then take it from there. And uh, on YouTube, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and uh, just like love doing funny videos with random people <laughs> on the streets of Vancouver, Paris, London, wherever uh, that may be. Please keep doing those videos. They're fabulous. And some some videos you pretend you're not a native Brazilian speaker. Yeah, those are those are a lot of fun. Yeah, normally they 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 won't have a clue. Like here in Vancouver or whatever, I'll just start engaging Brazilian people in, in, in English. They'll think I'm Canadian. And uh, well, I am Canadian too, but they'll think I'm, I can't speak Portuguese. Then I just switch to Portuguese and then just they go nuts, which is hilarious. So one question we always like to ask people on the podcast, since it is the language hacking podcast, is what is your understanding of the term language hacking? Well, I think uh, hacking would be really, you know, finding like really efficient ways of doing something. Some people can view it negatively like, oh, you know, there's no such thing as hacking because you can't really hack the language. There's no shortcuts. I don't really see uh, the word hacking as uh, necessarily uh, unrealistic shortcuts or anything like that. I think that uh, it's just really, you know, really trying to find efficient ways to just maximize your, your learning. And, uh, and I think that we should always be in the lookout for that for the reasons that you mentioned earlier to try to find variety and in the learning process. Because when we hit a roadblock, it's really nice, as you said, to just really try to diversify. And that is in the methods that you're using, but also like in the stuff that you're using and in the materials.
material and the kind of material. It could be maybe you're going to go text and audio to music now or you find a podcast or whatever it may be. Because we don't want to do things inefficiently, too, do we? <laughs> we want to find efficient ways of achieving our uh, our goals. I agree with that, absolutely. So it's been very interesting to chat with you today, Gabriel. We make sure uh, all the links to your YouTube, your Instagram, everything else will be in the show notes for today's episodes. So people can go check you out. Until the next time, I'll wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. Happy language learning. And that's a wrap. What an interesting interview with Gabrielle. At the end of the podcast, we like to discuss a few takeaways that we've gathered. Benny, what was your highlight during this interview today? I like what, uh, what Gabrielle was saying about the fact that he looked for a way that intuitively worked for him. You know, people have heard me talk about very frequently the concept of learning multiple languages at once. And I've never prescribed one way is good for everybody. I've personally found that learning just one language at a time is easier for me. But what what he's done is he's really investigated where that balance is because he, he did genuinely want to work on two languages for uh, a period like one year. And the way he made that work was to do 80% for one language, 20% for the other, or to have three months of 90% for one language, 10% for the other. And then the relaxed language, as it were, that could take over for one month and then he could go back to the previous process. So this was something that he found through experimentation and finding out what genuinely works for him and the direction that he wants to take his languages in. So I'd recommend anybody listening to take advice from people like myself, like him, like other people who share their language learning advice online, and then experiment and see what is intuitively working for you. And it won't necessarily be a copy paste of any of our approaches, but you may well find something that is working perfectly for you and the balance that you want. So that's my takeaway. What would yours be? My takeaway was that for sure. (laughs) And also dealing with frustration, because I find that a lot of people, they just give up, they get frustrated and then they stop. And the takeaway came from both of you. For you, it was how to make that brick wall possible to knock down, which means sometimes you need to take a detour for a while and then come back to it to kind of create more strength in your motivation. And for him, the answer to deal with frustration by really connecting with your why. I remember one of the, you know, my husband and I visit um, France probably once a year. It's just what we do. We love it. We, we start in Paris and then we go to different parts of Europe. And I remember only having about a month of uh, French under my belt, I think three lessons and 20 words and going there as a beginner that knew so, so little and being able to say just enough to connect with them was enough to create, to help me get through the hurdles of frustration. Because every time I got frustrated, I had a why I'm going to go back to that souvenir shop and I'm going to speak to that nice guy that, and I'm going to tell him where I'm from because I couldn't tell him this last time. And so that finding ways to deal with your frustration is one of the best ways to actually achieve learning a language. Excellent stuff. So those are great takeaways. And I hope people really enjoyed this episode. And once again, until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you are, you can let us know by leaving a review and telling us what's working for you at languagehacking.com forward slash review. We love hearing from you and your review tells the podcast fairies to offer our show up to more listeners. Thanks so much and see you next time.